Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. It's National Signing Day coming to a close. The wee hours, all of our fax machines uh, are pretty much out the window now. We email them. We just take screenshots. We text in our national letters of intent. Uh, We have committed to the Cover 3 Podcast and delivering five-star content. And Barton, you have been put through a whirlwind of takes. We were just talking. I mean, this is... Like, as the national director of scouting for 24-7 sports, you carry a -a 12-month-a-year responsibility that, on a day like today, it bubbles up to the surface in a way that is uh, truly impressive. So, first of all, in front of all of our listeners, great work to you, Trey, the whole 24-7 sports team. Uh, I was there as a viewer and as someone who was taking the content in. I thought y'all did a good job. Well, and... and um, not to make this some sort of acceptance speech, but I mean, the what I do is sort of become the mouthpiece for our network, and you know, mining out info from guys like Steve Wilfong and and uh, Keith Niebuhr and Rusty Manzel and uh, you know, just our network of of experts on sort of the with the boots on the ground is is you know, those are really the guys that with with all the the insight, and I, I dig it all out and have my sources here and there, but. Uh, I've gotten to where, with all the college football stuff, I have such like a, a sixty thousand foot view of it that I'm not in the guts quite as much, and so th- those guys are, are are the ones that just crush it on a day like that. And so um, it's fun to work in the twenty four seven sports network on a day like that, where where all the all the news is is circulating and uh, and popping. Okay, so uh, to just to go ahead and, and give a quick preview, Barton, we have not gotten to talk about the Justin Fields news yet. I want to make sure we hit that before we get out of here. Also, yeah. uh, speaking of Steve Wiltfong, Jaron Williams uh, from Miami will be transferring, so we need to get th- to that as well. But I wanted to start with this question. And uh, DeAndre Francois, too, and- huh? Ah, Perhaps, potentially, potentially, maybe pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. All right. So we're sitting here recording. It is almost uh, 11 Eastern time uh, on Wednesday night. Did you see he called into the Orlando Sentinel to straighten it out? <laughs> well, I, uh, I guess I didn't I didn't find out specifically what he said. I, I, I was under the impression that the door was left open for him still to be to, to transfer or go pro. But it, what it was, is that not what happened? happen where where i think we left it is that it was going to be go pro or come back to florida state okay okay yeah which and hey deandre francois as a talent could absolutely end up declaring for the nfl draft going and having a pro career so um yeah yeah we'll we'll, we'll see uh, around there so here we go about 71 percent of this class is signed already we've got two more days to go as you look at it from that 60,000 feet perspective, um, you know, were you surprised at all or, or what are your takeaways with two of these early signing periods now uh, kind of under our belt? I mean, is, is this the day now? I think it is. Yeah, I really do. Um, it was, I mean, it's, it's where the majority of the guys sign. Um, and did you say is, is people already released that stat? 71% of signees have, 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 hit already i got that from lugan bill i trust that okay well because that's a higher number than last year already uh and so yes i think that's a that's an ex- 
acceleration of last year, a, a continued progression of this becoming the primary signing day. And January is just about tying up a few loose ends and locking down the last three or four or five stars that are still out there. Um, so, I mean, look, we, we, we left. There, there felt like there was a real finality to the end of Wednesday. I mean, it felt like college coaches were celebrating another signing day in the books, uh, much like they would in February. And I think that tells the story. Um, Alabama's number one once again. I thought, to me, one of the biggest, most interesting takeaways is just we have this indefinite, never-ending Alabama-Georgia clash of the Titans. <laughs> it's on the field. It's on the recruiting trail. It's micro. It's macro. It's it's recruit by recruit, recruiting class by recruiting class, and it's on the field. And it's just that this – I mean, we're in for a long-term uh, heavyweight – out and and you know 15 rounds of this thing and, and there's going to be some Bama Georgia fatigue in about five years like you wouldn't believe because I just don't see either of these teams slowing down um, and they're sitting there right there at one and two in the recruiting rankings and I think it's going to be one order of uh, uh, some order of, of of those two at the top of the rankings for uh, for for the foreseeable future. Five star running back Trey Sanders goes to Bama. Kobe Dean goes to Georgia. Evan Neal goes to Bama. I mean, it was just when and all of those could have gone either way between yeah. the two. <laughs> like those were the there were four five stars that made a decision on on Wednesday. Three of them it, it was a decision between Alabama and Georgia. Mm. I one of my big takeaways from the overall system is that the two cycles in and I you you're talking about coaches celebrating is that this really benefits the coaches. Because Brian Kelly let it fly a little bit. He was on an interview on ESPN News coverage, and and he used the word babysit. And he came out and he was like, yeah, this is great. I mean, we don't have to fly all over the country babysitting and hand-holding these guys through the month of January. Yeah. And And I just, you know, Notre Dame has a unique challenge because they do have to go all over the country during that month of January if they're trying to do it. But, man, this is... You know, this has changed like for a an early enrollee or for someone who wants to go ahead and get this done and out of the way, there is certainly an advantage. But it seems like the big winners through two of these cycles are without a doubt the coaches. Well, yeah, I mean, and they're still going to be traveling and on the road in January, but it's just a much more efficient operation. They can go actually and, and, and be evaluating talent, working on the class of 2020. I, I think they just hate the um, how it's just spinning their wheels going to see a kid that's been committed for a year right and, and just to make sure no one else poaches him so it's and, and especially for a program like Notre Dame who this year I mean they literally have I think two guys left that they could land they got a kid named Isaiah Foskey out of Northern California that is is probably going to end up in Notre Dame they has got to make sure he signs in, in in February and then they're trying to flip a kid from Washington that's it I mean there, there's nothing else they're worried about and so uh it's got to be refreshing um, to just get this out of the way for a program like that and, and, and have the coast clear. Yeah, I mean, we're talking uh, teams were unveiling – most teams were unveiling 20-plus kids that had signed uh, at, when they were sending out their press releases this afternoon. Yeah, yeah, and, and, that's, and that's including even the, the lower-tier programs. Um, but oh, dude, David, David Cutcliffe had it wrapped by 8 a.m., 20 letters of intent all in, and then he can just go get brunch at the Washington Duke Inn. Those Duke boys are punctual. Yeah, they got <laughs> they it in. Uh, 
you know, it's good. The, the, the fun part is now seeing who's going to be the recruit that emerges in the second signing period as a priority guy. Like a great example last year, Brock Purdy, mm. uh, who was committed to Boise State, decided, you know what, I'm getting some sniffs here from some bigger programs. I'm going to take a step back, see what happens. And it got to the point where he became a high priority for Texas A&M, Alabama, and Iowa State. He ends up picking Iowa State, and look what happens. He's one of the best freshmen in the country. So some there's going to be some prospects that pop up uh, that wouldn't that would otherwise just be a nobody, no name kind of mid major or or low group, low power five signee that no one you know no one blinks thinks twice about is going to become like a high profile, highly touted recruit by a bunch of powerhouses. Uh, I want to turn our attention to the Big Ten East, and I, I want to ask you uh, to help me split hairs on this. Michigan finishes with the highest ranking in terms of the 24-7 composite team rankings. They are at number eight, but then Penn State is at number 10, and then Ohio State checks in at number 12. Ohio State had the, arguably the biggest individual announcement of the day uh, as they do end up getting Zach Harrison. I thought Noah Kane, the blue-chip running back committing to Penn State, was something that was interesting, especially as he talked about how he thought he might fit into that offense. And then uh, we've got the flip for Michigan that helps them boost their rankings. How do you look at those three classes and how do you separate them or stack them up against each other based on team needs? Yeah, this is going to be an interesting January. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious at who wins this. I think Penn State may have the most upward mobility to get some more work done in January. Um, and and I'll, I guess I'll start with Ohio State. It's, it's, I'm, I'm torn on how to, how to measure and grade this day for Ohio State. One, they lost Jordan Battle a safety commit uh, to Alabama. He flipped to the tide first thing in the morning, and that was not a surprise, a little bit more of a surprise. We knew something was cooking a little bit, uh, but not maybe not to this degree where we thought a flip would actually happen. But Dwan Mathis, Ohio State quarterback commit, flips to Georgia uh, as Georgia scrambles to find some more quarterback depth with the impending departure of Justin Fields, uh, potentially. And, and yet... So Alabama, I mean, so Ohio State at one point they're sitting like 17th in the country, and it's like, man, wh- when do we ever see Ohio State outside the top 15 uh, in a critical day on a signing day type of of setting? And then they get Zach Harrison, who's a five star from Columbus. They had to get so while this isn't a a sexy class by Ohio State standards, Ryan Day's got his first scalp on the wall. Ryan Day came in and he got Zach Harrison, who. You know, I, I talked to to somebody uh, on a staff that didn't get Zach Harris, Harris, Harrison. If Urban Meyer was still there, he wouldn't have been, ended up at Ohio State. Mm. And what that means because just there would have been more uh, instability and, and uncertainty about the future of the program, um, or, or whether it was about just the simply you know all that we've learned about Urban Meyer and and sort of the mess that happened over the summer. Whether that was a turnoff, I, I, I was unclear on that. But just the, Ur- the Urban Meyer departure and the Ryan Day insertion, I think, created a much clearer picture for Zach Harrison. And for Ryan Day to go win that one, uh, with Michigan having had the lead in that race throughout most of the process, I think says a lot about maybe what he's capable of. Um, so, uh, again, sort of torn. You can look at it either way on Ohio State in terms of how it ended up. But ultimately, if this is a class that – lands outside the top 10 by National Signing Day. I mean, obviously, that's a step back, but maybe we can excuse that uh, given all of the circumstances surrounding this class. 
Um, Penn State, you know, that's Zach Harrison. They would like to have him. Um, they uh, Michigan beat them on Cornelius Johnson, a four-star wide receiver commits. Uh, you know, they, they, they got Noah Kane, but they lost a couple others. Uh, kind of a mixed bag there as well. And, and I think so. I think Michigan, probably of the three, had the best day. Uh, and uh, I, I, I still think that's going to be a really tight race in the Big Ten East. And uh, it, it should be interesting how that pecking order shakes out by the time February rolls around. It's like that was the diff- Like Urban Meyer really might be the difference because Ohio State can still have number one Big Ten classes, but number one in the Big Ten might be number nine in the country instead of being number two. That 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 really might be where this ends because I mean wasn't you know wasn't that part of the the Jordan Battle decision? I mean he's a Florida kid, and as soon as Urban Meyer was out of the picture, maybe that's where you lose Jordan Battle. And I I just um, I think I think about how this might be a precursor to the gap closing because for all the efforts that have been done on the recruiting trail at Michigan and Penn State. You know, we still have seen Ohio State be able to succeed on the field if all of a sudden Ohio State's number one in the Big Ten rankings aren't number two anymore, but instead they're number eight or number nine, then maybe that is enough of uh, the door being left open so that either one of those teams is going to be more on the talent level. Or I guess what was uh, your boy James Franklin? You know, they will have gone to enough more uh, to enough classes at that point to be able to uh, to get the victory. You know, uh Maybe that's a good segue to, to dip into some other programs on the day too because there, there's one thing like there are clear levels and tiers to what your recruiting class is. If you are – if Ohio State is consistently recruiting at a top three or four, top two, you know, somewhere in the range of five, four, three, two, which is basically what they've been over the last five years or so. Usually they're the number two class in the country. That it, when they dip down, they dip down to like number four. So it's really – I mean, Ohio State has been, for the most part of the last five years, the primary contender for Al- to Alabama. Um, if Ohio State dips down from being regularly in the top three to just being regularly inside the top ten, that still seems like they're recruiting well enough. And they – you know, and, and by most people's standards, they are. But that is a clear difference. That, that the roster will, will start over time to look very different. It'll still be really good, really talented, and more talented than most, but it will look different when it faces a team like an Alabama or a Clemson. Um, by that same token, I, I think it's a good, a, a good example is Texas A&M who, or Oregon. But, but, but to start with Texas A&M, who is – I mean, Kevin Sumlin recruited well. I don't think anybody was ever complaining about Kevin Sumlin's recruiting. That wasn't the problem necessarily. But they were top ten classes – Top 11 classes, maybe nine, maybe 12. Jimbo Fisher's right now got the number three class. Yeah. If he brings in consistently number three classes, and if you look at the guys that they brought in with Texas A&M, uh, DeMarvin Leal, who's a 6'4", 280-pound defensive end. Baylor Cup, who's a 6'6", 245-pound uh, tight end. Uh, Dalen Wright, who's a 6'4", 215-pound wide receiver. Uh, Elijah Blades, who's a 6'2", long cornerback, a 6'5", 285-pound defensive end. Derek Hunter, they flipped from Florida State. You get the point. They are bringing in body types that look like the guys Alabama trots out there, and it's not going to happen overnight in terms of this shift, 
and what the team looks like. But over time, if Texas A&M keeps on bringing in number three classes as opposed to number 10 classes, it will look dramatically different. Oregon's the same way. Oregon has been bringing in top 15 to top 20 classes. That is dramatically different than what it looked like when they were bringing in top 12, top 13 classes. Uh, They've been bringing in back into the 17 to 22 type of classes under Mark Helford. Before that, Chip Kelly was bringing in 15 to 10 type classes. Those look very different. And if they go from 10 to 15 type classes, or if they go from 17 to 20 type classes, to bringing in top five classes, best in the Pac-12 classes, which is what Mario Cristobal has Oregon sitting at right now, it will look very different. The team will dramatically improve in terms of just the bodies and personnel on the roster. And so I think it's important to, I mean, hey, they got to do this over time. One class won't cut it. But if we see this as sustainable trends, I think there's a couple of teams where you can see with a, a perhaps an avenue to level up. Okay, so how, what does that mean in the Pac-12 for USC? Because here's what I see at Oregon. I see that this year they had a lot of young guys playing. That oh, Last year they, they were putting freshmen out there. Basically, we're dealing with a roster that has turned over whatever was left from before and everything that has followed seems to be of a different breed, of a new caliber, of a higher execution level. And that Oregon team, which has continued to build here with this number five class, like that is something that should be threatening to USC as USC is in the middle of all of its madness. And as USC sits here as we're recording with the number 21 class in the country, I know you're always on the Trojans as big time closers. You know, what is Clay Helton dealing with right now and how much, uh, you know, more movement is there up for USC to be able to get, you know, can they get to the top 10? Is, is the, are there that many California prospects left? Are there that many decisions to be made where the Trojans are going to be able to move up or is this just going to be a down year? Excuse me. Um, yeah, I, I, they have the, the two big names that they have left that they should get are Brew McCoy and Cal Ford, two five-star receivers. Can they get a guy like Noah Pola Gates out of Cal, out of Arizona, who's a an elite defensive back? Uh, but he's got all the. I mean, this is a kid that uh, you know if he waits till this the after the early signing period, that's going to be a tough guy to pull for them. Um, uh, Enoch Vamahi. I mean, there's some guys, but if they just get, get the two five-star receivers, Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford, who I do think they will get, uh, uh, that that's not going to be enough to jump them all the way out of the top ten. It feels like this is going to end up being like a top fifteen level class. And again, when we're, t- when we're used to seeing USC close to get into the top four or five, that 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 changes things. Now, look, may- maybe they they offset that by improving their strength and conditioning program, and they develop the guys that are getting better and and so that the, the, the roster doesn't look dramatically different. It's hard to sit here and say uh, that, that you know, USC uh, may not be able to, to trot out the same level athletes that they got right now when they just got done with a five and seven season. You're just like, what, what do they care if the athletes aren't the same? I don't think the athletes are the problem. And so uh, it's still, I think, an issue if they're going to start recruiting at a top 15 level instead of a top five level. Uh, but I ultimately think USC is USC. This is a one-year deal. Uh, next year, they're either going to have Clay Helton and they're going to be recruiting better because they improved dramatically, or Tra- Clay Helton's going to be gone because they didn't pr- improve dramatically, and the next coach will have him recruiting top five classes. So uh, th- this is still a USC program that's going to close strong, relatively speaking, uh, to the rest of the country, but not relatively speaking, I think, 
to USC standards of what we've become used to. You talked a little bit on CBS Sports HQ, which, by the way, like watch all of the footage that you can find, whether it's uh, the Facebook show, which is still archived, I believe. Just go back and watch it. It's worth it. I promise. Um, <laughs> when I was looking at you talking about the the full sort of Sabinization at the top five, right? You were talking about uh, Georgia, Texas A&M, even Oregon with Mario Cristobal. I was watching Ryan Abraham and uh, USCfootball.com. I was watching their Periscope wrap-up show. And one of the interesting takeaways is they started out talking about, oh, this early signing day. Like it, I wonder if for some programs, and maybe not all the programs, but for some programs, just the, the concept of the early signing day and how important it was going to be and the value that should be put on locking these guys down. I wonder if that has just missed certain blue blood programs like it last year, uh, Alabama, right? Wasn't that one of our early signing day takeaways is that Alabama was caught a little bit off guard. And I wonder if USC just because of all the turmoil of the last month or so, you know, it's just, you know, they, they clean house on the assistant coaching staff. I was seeing reports during the day that even their support staff within the sports information department and the processing department, they, they were cut down on support staff. Skeleton, we were talking about grad assistants calling plays, Barton, but like skeleton support staff cannot get the tweets out fast enough announcing all the NLIs that are in. Like, I wonder if there was just this year, just some institutional changeover that made USC's entire early signing efforts just a little bit shaken. Well, we may need to get Ryan Abraham on again sometime to just talk about what like, happened to the guts we do need of to USC. Yeah. Because yeah. USC, they've, they've always got, considering what that program is and the history around that program, their facilities are subpar relative to the rest of the Pac-12. They've got a reputation for having very limited resources in terms of their off-field personnel, their recruiting department, what they pay those guys. I don't know whether it's because USC is a private school. USC is a private school, right? It is. And and whether they can, you know, they have limitations in terms of what they can. I I don't know. I may, may, I don't know. May, we need someone with more insight than us to to tell us. But um, it is odd that they don't really have quite the same army as the other programs that are on that tier from a blue blood perspective. And I don't know that necessarily USC miscalculated or didn't value this signing period like they should have as much as they just, man, they had a, they had a, they had pretty big mess to clean up. You know, I think the janitors are still sweeping up and, uh, and, and they're just trying to, you know, trying to make it, make it to, to January at this point. So, um, you know, USC and, and even some of the guys they got, I mean, just sort of not the same sizzle uh, that we're used to seeing uh, uh, in any kind of signing period for USC. Okay. Uh, a couple more items here that I knew I wanted to hit you on. <clears throat> Thank you so much, by the way, for staying up to knock this out so that we could get it to the people for their drive on Thursday morning. Um, Lincoln Riley, he had some interesting comments where he was really quick to point out and lean on what they have at Oklahoma. And uh, Alan Kenny, shout out at Blatant Homerism on Twitter. Uh, he said, seven blue chip recruits signed today without a defensive coordinator. That is more than they signed in nine of the previous 18 recruiting cycles. That is seven blue chip defensive recruits 
all signed without a permanent defensive coordinator. And of course, Ruffin McNeil could end up being named the permanent defensive coordinator there. When Lincoln Riley was asked to explain it on television, he said that, you know, we are able to sell Oklahoma. We are able to sell a brand that can continue to perform at a high level, regardless of um, who the assistant coaches are. And uh, Tom Herman echoed something similar at Texas. He said, you know, I, he thanked his players. He said, uh, our players do a great job of recruiting here. As we're looking at those two Big 12 powers, you know, what we've got them both inside the top 10 of the 24 7 sports team composite rankings. We've got Spencer Rattler, who we've talked about on this podcast now for, for months, throwing the horns down in his commitment tweet. We've got all kinds of fun looking at this rivalry moving forward. You know, how do you take those two, compare them against each other, and grade them out uh, following this early signing period? Well, it's, it's, it's so, I mean, it's I fun, was on, right? But yeah, my first, the first radio uh, interview I did, uh, today on Wednesday was six, uh, six thirty in the morning, I think. And I, it was with an Austin radio station. So kind of a Texas friendly radio station. And they were like, so tell us about Oklahoma. And I was like, well, uh, all the things that make Oklahoma scary right now, they're getting, they're getting, they're reloading on whether it's, you know, they got three of the best pass catchers in the country and Theo Weiss, Trajan Bridges, and Austin Stogner coming in. Uh, and, and they got Spencer Rattler, a quarterback who's a Baker Mayfield-esque guy, perfect for Lincoln Riley's system. They are getting all kinds of fireworks reloaded. And it's, you know, it's sort of, it pains, I think, a Texas fan to hear that. Like, this is, the offense ain't going anywhere. Maybe you can argue that the, the defense didn't get answered and so... Uh, the, the Achilles heel remains, but they actually addressed that last year. We'll see if that group that, that's freshman this year can develop into something, but there's no question that this is one of the best offensive skill groups in the country. And some of the buzz that started circulating today around signing day was Jadon Hazelwood, who's a one-time Georgia commit out of the state of Georgia, five-star receiver, the number one receiver in the country, uh, is, is now all of a sudden trending towards Oklahoma, who would join Theo Weiss, Trajan Bridges, Austin Stogner, uh, to, to create maybe the best receiving core in the country in this recruiting class. So um, that, that's, that's sort of it's, it's, that's kind of the easy answer for Oklahoma is it's just more of the same ridiculousness offensively. Um, I think you know, from a Texas standpoint, what, what was most fascinating about this class is just sort of where it came from. It was a, uh, they had 21 commits, 11 of them from the state of Texas, and then 10 of them from everywhere else. Uh, couple from California, a couple from Georgia. They, they sort of were willing to dip outside of the state boundary and go and, and, and dig up guys wherever they found them. Uh, I think this is a really good class. Uh, and, and they got a quarterback in Roshan Johnson. Uh, they got some big-time athleticism and length. Uh, so I think that, that Texas is identifying, look, we want to get longer, we want to get faster. And uh, the, the balance there is to make sure they're still getting tougher as well, which has been sort of the, the challenge in Austin for a long time. Uh, and I think that they, I think they found that, 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 uh, that middle ground. How many coaches today said that they felt like they got better? Like 130? <laughs> All of them? Yeah. Well, I might yeah. say 129 because guess what? And this might not surprise you, and I don't know if you've seen these quotes or these comments, but Mark Richt came to the, his press conference and said, "We've got work to do." Oh, they—he's they, damn right they do. Miami's in I've just, trouble. I, 
They are, but I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of refreshing to hear he said that. Oh, yeah, that's uh, why I wanted to point it out is because normally yeah. at a signing day press conference, it's everything is like, we they got five-star hearts. We got, you know, quality guys. It doesn't matter what their recruiting rankings were. I just know that they're high-quality guys. We got better today. No, Mark Ricks came to the podium, and he said, uh, yeah, we have work to do before February. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just like this is what's so tough about the early signing period is you mentioned a number seventy one percent. What does that leave? Twenty nine percent. Twenty nine percent of your typical inventory is left. That means twenty nine percent of the five stars that you typically see. Twenty nine percent of the top one hundred guys. Twenty nine percent of the top five hundred guys. There's just not as many players left for you to go make up ground late. And Miami has been absolutely getting crushed. We talked about Jaron Williams' his transfer, and that's just sort of insult to injury. They've had five decommitments in the, in the month of December from the class of 2019, four more from the class of 2020, nine decommitments in total in the, in the month of December. They just they, they whiffed on every effort they made. Tyreek Stevenson, who's a guy that didn't commit, was, was perhaps someone that at Miami was trending for, a South Florida DB, borderline five-star guy. George is chasing him. Had he signed today or committed, Miami may have had a shot. He's pushing until Friday, which indicates that perhaps George is going to land him. They're also trending well for Jadon Hazelwood, the five-star receiver from Georgia that you know we were talking about is now trending towards Oklahoma. He seems to be getting away from them. So it's just a, it's been a long time since there's been any good news for Miami. And I think le- losing Manny Diaz, their defensive coordinator, to the head coaching job at Temple uh, stings. Because that was a guy that, that you know that that recruits well and that class really identifies with that team really identifies with, but thirty seventh in the country is bad for Miami. There's no there's never an excuse for that. I think you can kind of you can kind of talk about the whole state of Florida. The big three is underachieving right now, but none to the, the degree that Miami is at thirty seventh in the country. Florida State is at least number two in the ACC, but this is the thing that really stings if you're a Miami fan. NC State, Virginia Tech, Virginia, and North Carolina <laughs> all currently ranked ahead of the Hurricanes in the 24-7 sports composite ranking. Look, I, we were talking about this in the office today. Um, Georgia fans around the country right now are telling Miami fans, hey, uh, you know, we're, we, we feel what you're going through, but uh, I hate to say it but we told you so <laughs> we told, we told you so he's a nice guy. You're going to like him. You're going to, you're going to want to go to fan day and get his autograph and talk to him. But this guy doesn't have the killer instincts and look what we got now with Kirby. Oh, he's and, a killer. Yeah. And so you, you know I how, you that, know, George, uh, Kirby was a killer because the first thing he did is he went to the state Senate to make sure the FOIA rules got rewritten. What rules? Like the Freedom of Information Act? Oh, oh that's right. He did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's, he, that's a what cold. Was that about? Like just, just to make sure no one could mess around and and uh, uh, yeah, I mean that that was that, <laughs> no that one, was, no one can, no one can ask for uh, emails without a six month embargo, and that gets us through the season. That was the yeah. first thing he had to put into place into state law to get the Bulldogs back to championship caliber. Yeah, Mark Rick ain't worried about all that. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I mean it, it's it's uh, so this I think we're this is a real I think even more so 
than the season, which was a disappointing season, I think we are at kind of the precipice right now with Miami and Mark Rick. If they if they come finish this this society class off with a class outside the top thirty, um, and and they and they got quarterback issues and the offense isn't, isn't improving, I really think that that is more of an indicator of perhaps a, a shorter time limit on this coaching uh, position than what we saw on the field. Because interesting, it, I, I just if you're not if you can't get if you can't. All, recruiting is everything. No, no, like, listen, no, so, I hear you. I'm listening to your words and I'm thinking about shorting that stock like now. So so many times you hear fans saying like, oh, this guy, like this coach, man, he can't he can't cut it. They're not winning enough. Seven and five isn't good enough, whatever. But when you can say take that that same coaching staff, that same coach, and you can point and say, well, the message is still resonating with the recruits. They've still got a top 10 class right now. What do you got to say about that? The people that matter believe. I don't care if you do, fan Joe, but the people that matter believe. So with Mark Rick in Miami, if they're sitting there at 6-6 six and six or whatever, that's 7-5, and five, and and they're also outside the top 40 in recruiting, now neither side is lining up. No one's believing. And, and that's when I think the bottom starts – falling out so i think it's just something to monitor with miami uh what else is on your notepad i feel like i've just been i mean i know you you're taked out at this point in the day no no so okay let's i think a couple of the important things just just off the top of my head there are a couple of key moments in the day uh one is right down the road from you your boy mac brown goes and gets sam Howell. howell look mac brown's 36 in the country, right above Miami, and it, that's a that's a decent class. It's it's I think probably uh, it's a win for Mac Brown, regardless. Uh, that that's that's heading in the right direction, um, but that they have a quarterback committed right now, and it was a, it was the number two pro style quarterback in the country, number uh, number three maybe pro style quarterback in the country. Sam Howell, he's a top 100 guy. He was committed to Florida State. North Carolina flips him. From Florida State, he's a state of North Carolina kid. So I think even if Larry Fedora were there, they would have had a real shot at, at flipping him. But that Mac Brown finished the deal. Look, he is—he's got what Larry. If Larry Fedora landed Sam Howell two years ago, I will make this guarantee to you: Larry Fedora would still be the head coach in, at North Carolina. There were two boxes that Sam Howell checks. Number one is elite in-state recruit. Number two is quarterback, and neither of those two things have not been present the last two seasons. It's kind of like what Ryan Day did at Ohio State. I don't really care about the the flips or the losses or that they didn't move up enough. He got Zach Harrison. He got his big win. It's a win for him. Mac Brown, he can get a bunch of other cold bodies. He got a quarterback, and so that's a win for North Carolina. They happen to have been pretty successful elsewhere too. It didn't happen on signing day, but they got they flipped a kid named Emory Simmons from. Penn State, who I think is a really good prospect, a four-star kid for us 24-7. And they flipped a guy named Tristan Miller from NC State, who's a four-star offensive lineman for us 24-7 sports. So, uh, look, I have—I don't know how sold I am on the assistant coaching hires Mac Brown made from a football standpoint, but I do believe in the assistant coaches hires he made from a recruiting standpoint, whether it's Tim Brewster or Tommy Thigpen or, I mean, even Trey Bly. I mean, I would imagine that's a guy that will be able to find some 
success on the recruiting trail, they can they will be able to recruit. Uh, and and I'm I am I think pleasantly surprised, cautiously optimistic about maybe what they're going to be able to do on the recruiting trail um, moving forward. I'm trying to think as I finish out that thought. Uh, where my next sort of point to get to is on the day. Anything pop up? Uh, I mean, I, I was gonna, I was gonna come back with my big. I, 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 t- I told Coach Longo I want to score fifty points a game. <laughs> I, I, dude, I, I'm, I, I told you for, it, more than anything, the entertainment value around North Carolina football increased with this hire. I watched every second of the press conference. Of the of of his signing day press conference. Yeah. Have you seen? Oh my gosh. He went lav mic. Like instead of, instead of standing at a podium, he went Ted talk on it. Oh, (laughs) he got, I love it. He he got, yeah, he got the clip on lav mic and walked around the room and our buddy Ross Martin was like sitting front row. And so when Ross is sitting down in this like classroom amphitheater, asking a question, Mac Brown is three and a half feet from his face, standing up, staring at him in the eye. Uh, oh god this is gonna be fun it's really you know fun. what the, I'm, I'm warming up to the north carolina hire at the very least from an entertainment standpoint for us yes i don't know if i still am not convinced it's not going to crash and burn but i it is i am now convinced that it will be entertaining um so yeah he's they're going to go spread offense and sam howell is going to graduate early and he's going to enroll in january and uh, he was on campus talking with Longo on Sunday. So obviously there was some part of that conversation that said, we believe you can come in to this quarterback room where we had no options through the season and ev- win the job pretty soon. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think, I think he's going to step in. Yeah. He'll be the starter. Maybe- I have, there's not a doubt in my mind. Sam Howell will be a freshman, true freshman starter uh, next year for North Carolina. Um, LSU had a good day. Landon Siaki Aika, the top player in Utah. Landon Radarius Jones, who's a, a, an athlete out of Mississippi uh, with with uh, freakish athleticism and speed. Um, Scott Frost had a good day. He went for three for three. We talked to him on the show. Uh, he's excited about 20-plus walk-ons that they're getting on board as, as well to just sort of continue to add depth and 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 just sort of add to the culture there in Lincoln. Um so, you know, he's got to be happy with, with the way things are trending there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think those are, the, those are the big points of note. Um, anything else from signing day? Should we touch on Justin Fields before we get out of here? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I, I guess we briefly hit on Jaron Williams. We hadn't talked about that much. Uh, but Justin Fields, certainly more significant. Uh, not surprising, correct? Not surprising, Surprising he's at Georgia in the first place. Um, and so, no, not, not surprising. Um, Justin Fields needs reps. He is a really talented player who could be the best player in college football. He's, he may be, the, I, I suspect Justin Fields is the most talented football player in the country. I don't know if he's going to end up being the best. I don't even know if he's going to end up being great. I think from a talent perspective, just having watched him up close a lot, I think he's the best player. I think he's the most talented player in college football. He's six foot three. He can absolutely run. He's got a monster arm. And and 
the problem with Justin Fields is he's not Trevor Lawrence in the sense that Trevor Lawrence is a true freshman starter at Cartersville High School in Georgia that played four seasons as a starter, played in four state championships games, maybe three state championship games, won two of them. I think he lost three games in his high school career, threw for over 3,000 yards every year. That guy's had a million reps with live rounds. Justin Fields didn't start until, I want to say, his middle of the, his sophomore season, got injured some of his junior season, even missed a little bit of his senior year to, with like a pinky injury. Uh, bottom line is he, he hasn't had the number of reps as a quarterback, and even when he's in, Trevor Lawrence was around a team that was really good, and he was just at, back there dealing. Justin Fields was the one-man show, so he hasn't had to go through his progressions. He's done a lot of bailing and running. And, and so he needs time to develop in real time. He, and so the clock's ticking. I understand why he's anxious to get out of there or at least explore what the possibilities are out there because Jake Fromm doesn't look like he's anywhere close to giving this thing up. Um, and so it makes sense to me that he explores his options. It, it would have made sense to me if he had gone to Florida, Florida State, or Texas A&M, who all wanted him, who, where I think he would have started at every one of those schools as a true freshman. So, um, What if Trace McSorley is handing it over to Justin Fields? Go all the way back to the Penn State. And the reason he decommitted from Penn State is because he was not – because basically James Franklin, I think, told him, look, Trace McSorley is our starter. Um, we want you here, but but we're not going to – I mean, Trace is our starter. He felt like he wasn't going to be given an opportunity to, to compete. Now, I don't know how the communication went. Maybe he just suspected he wasn't. Maybe, maybe that Penn State coaching staff uh, led him to believe that he could compete for that job, but that he knew it wasn't legit, that Trace, they liked Trace too much. But the irony is he didn't feel like he was going to have a shot to compete for that job. Uh, he thought he'd at least have a shot to compete for the job at Georgia, and he competed. But Jake Fromm maybe he's a little better than he thought he was. And, and and now I think we get a really fascinating scenario where and and look, I it appears to be very viable or very plausible uh to think he's gonna be eligible to play immediately next year. Yeah, are they gonna use that baseball players uh is that part of the, the argument? Yeah. Yeah, the the, the the, the racist, racist remark. Oh, yeah, which means mark. we need to go back to the Barton Simmons lesson of the best way not to be accused of being a racist is to not be a racist. Just, just tell that is that, that once again the Cover Three podcast stance on this. <laughs> Don't be racist, and uh, no one will you know, accuse maybe, you of being a racist, and no one will accuse you of being a racist. And uh, the, the the school that you love and cheer for would still have the really good quarterback um, because I think that's part of it too. He he's. The fact that I think he can, he has sort of a an out here, and he can get eligible right away, makes this much more appealing than maybe it otherwise would be. Um, now he can bounce, and if let, let's just say he can be eligible right now, man, the 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 world is your oyster, bro. You can go to Oklahoma, uh, you can go to Ohio State, you can go to I mean you can go play for a national championship as the starting quarterback somewhere uh, and I think those two options I just mentioned are you know not unreasonable to think that that they could be in play I mean so what what would that look can you imagine Justin Fields playing for Lincoln Riley oh. Justin Fields playing for Ryan Day 
just just a, a I mean, who knows? Who knows what this is? How, what's going to come of this? Uh, but it's a fascinating opportunity both for him and for some school to to get a a guy that can lead you to a national championship. Mm. Barton, you did incredible work today. Thank you for spending time with us here on the Cover Three Podcast. Here to wrap it up. Yeah, man. I. I uh, uh, I was running a little low on energy late in the day, but once we got rolling and, you know, once the lights came on, uh, once the ball, you know, they rolled the ball out, I think we, we got it done. So, um, once we were we able, got, once we were able to start telling jokes about, uh, the things we like to tell jokes about, we were fine. We got locks on Friday, right? Yeah. Locks on Friday. All right. So locks on Friday, I got uh, signing day in the rear view time to do some, some, some crack research. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and we'll be good, man. This has been, it's been a good day as we've been, uh, recording this, my San Diego state play is just burned up horribly. Oh word. What's, uh, what's San Diego state doing right now? Well, Ohio won 27 to nothing. Oh, ouch. Well, Hey man, it was the rise of the Mac. It's, it is the year of the return of the Mac. That's right. Mac, <laughs> Mac Brown's on the uh, on the warpath, and and the Mac Conference is is rolling. I guess Northern Illinois got got stomped up a little bit, uh, but Eastern Michigan covered, and now Ohio's covering, uh, making me sweat out picking BYU and my and my my uh, uh, CBS experts pick. So no doubt. All right, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Like he said, we will be back on Friday for the locks. Barton, thank you very much. Is there...